0: Welcome to Box Cutters episode 312 I wish I'd been quicker off the mark My name is Josh Canal. To my left, Glenn Peters Hi To my further left, uh, John Richards Hello, listener To my right, Brett Cropley
1: G'day Oh, that's evening. enough from you, Brett You as always oh.
0: shutting Brett down oh. Always
1: <laughs> to the right
0: You know what? I've, I've, I've missed shutting Brett down Because we've been on break for like three or four weeks and, and I just haven't been able to just cut him off like that. Sometimes I would call him, but he doesn't answer his phone when I call. And so it's just his answering machine or his, his voicemail, whatever they call that. Okay. And, uh, and, and so he'll start, uh, hi, you've called, Br- no, and then I hang up. It's just not as satisfying, though. It's just not as satisfying. It's just my realisation that you've cut me off once again. <sighs> yeah, on, on, on my holidays. I watched a show called Happy Town. Uh, we're going to bring you that in a future episode of mm. Boxcutters as a things you may have missed. This is a very special episode of, of Boxcutters. In fact, we're starting this season with two very special episodes or one very special episode and then a regular episode and then another very special episode depending on how long, my, it, takes? <laughs> how long it takes for me to edit. Uh, the, the We're doing one show that is all about the newsroom. This is not that show. Uh, that will hopefully be the next show, but this show is uh, is an interview with John Clark. So, Brett, Glenn, last week, last week I was at work, very very busy. Mm-hmm. I'm an important businessman, mm-hmm. very Had important. Lots of lots of meetings, important business to be done. Yeah. Always wearing your tie. He's Always. like a boss. I, I am I'm I'm like a boss, but with no respect. It's amazing. John Richards calls me. I'm too busy to take his call, but the message says. I've got an interview with John Clark at one o'clock. It's eleven thirty. So Josh says, "Hey
1: everyone, I'm going to lunch," and we went to see John Clark. Yeah, for like
0: two hours. Yeah. So, Glenn, I don't know if you're aware, I'm a very big John Clark fan. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to see John Clark. Sounds like the best euphemism ever. <laughs> If, if you're not familiar, he uh, he he was well. He, he came to my attention as a uh, a member of the Gillies Report back in the '80s, which was a satirical show on the ABC. He invented the fake foot sport Farnarkling. That was one of his uh, one of his segments on the Gillies Report. Uh, he is also uh, very famous as Fred Dag, uh, a character that who uh, who. Uh, wrote columns and uh, and did some audio work, and uh, and then gained a lot of fame as one half of Clark and Daw, uh the evening team on A Current Affair and the 7.30 report. Which, and ha- which, 730. which half was
1: he? Which half was... He
0: was the Clark, he was okay. the Clark sure. half, uh, which was lucky, because that's also his name. Convenient, uh, and uh, and then he also co-wrote the games, and and was and starred in in the games. Uh, has directed films, directed television, uh, starred in uh, films, and television just extraordinary and, uh, and and his latest piece of work is a show called Sporting Nation which was on the ABC It was a, a documentary about Australia as a sporting nation
1: so we took this opportunity to go and uh, he couldn't come to us but we went to him we sat in his office in Collingwood and we just basically chatted with John Clark for an hour or so we're gonna play it to you now sound quality is slightly variable Good. It's 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 okay, but mm-hmm. you will hear some of the um the, the workmen that were doing some stuff out the window. You'll hear a tram occasionally. Basically, you need to just imagine you're sitting in a room with John Clark chatting.
0: We had the equipment that you could get within an hour and a half. We started by asking him this question. As someone who's made a, a lot of television, how do you uh how do you find being put into those boxes? One of the things about Sporting Nation that we commented on was that it was a show about sport for people who didn't like sport. Mm. That you managed to cross that, that Well, divide. it should
2: be a show for people who like sport and a people for sh- show for people who don't like sport and a show for people who like history and a show for people who don't like history or don't think they like history mm. or for people who want to be sort of moderately entertained on a Sunday night. It should fulfill, as storytelling should generally, any and all roles available to human contact. In the case of Sporting Nation we had some brilliant stories which could provide the componentry in little individuals, I mean I don't mean little, but in terms of airtime parts of an episode, but which were spectacularly good. And we had access to the real people who'd done these things and who were very, very articulate and interesting about how they'd done it and why they'd done it and who they were. And obviously it all reflects whatever the social history has been in the period, which is basically since the Second World War. And so if somebody said to me, I watched that show and it wasn't very funny, I could say, no, but it was true, wasn't it? And if they said to me, I watched that show and it wasn't entirely true, I could say, no, but it was amusing, wasn't it? <laughs> so those things can hide behind each other, and that's a bit, that's delicious.
1: Was it your idea?
2: Yeah, year? I've always wanted to do a program about because I grew up in New Zealand, which is similarly obsessed with sport, but in slightly different sports and in slightly different ways. And the history is different. The history of the country is different. There wasn't a huge migration boom in Australia after the, in New Zealand after the war. The race relations in New Zealand affected world sport because of the stupidity of the New Zealand rugby union and the stupidity of the New Zealand government at the time. And so it's a different story, but absolutely as crucial to understanding the history of the total country in that period so it's always interested me. It's always interested me also that sport can't be just sport because why would we be interested in it? We don't care about the result. The We know the result doesn't matter. I mean, the Olympics are on right in a minute. None of it will matter. But we'll get interested in it at the level of narrative and um, and it will have about it all the things that sport has about it. It'll have it results. You know, you'll, And it seems clear and... I mean, all of the things that wise people said in our show about sport will pertain in the next month.
0: There is a uh, one of the things that I found with sport and sport in Australia, especially, is a lot of it is about it uh, is about a kind of xenophobia. Mm. This uh, I I barrack for Carlton, therefore I have to hate Collingwood. Yes, uh, and and vice versa. The Olympics. Takes that, and I've noticed that worldwide mm. with with sport, the Olympics tries to show peace mm. uh, through sport, which is naturally antagonistic. That's mm. I don't, I'm, I've never understood that. No, that's an
2: interesting idea. It's a bit like the UN. The UN will perhaps postpone war, but it won't stop it. Um, it'll ghettoise it. For example, the Security Council will agree that it would be a bad thing if there was a huge war. Mm. So we'll open up a series of franchises in Africa and across, you know, um, South America, Southern Europe maybe, but we'll keep them out of America, Britain, Russia, you know, the Security Council countries.
0: Some, some smaller test wars. Yes, yeah, that's right. That's, yeah.
2: There are apparent conflicts in these ideas, but um, as is often said about democracy, it's the best the best worst system we've got. Mm. So I don't think it's perfect, but it does have that sort of clarity. I mean, it's increasingly um, the case that the Olympics is more than just that. For example, the principal issue at the impending London Olympics is clearly security. So they're now having to protect this celebration of man's essentially peace-loving nature from the risk of attack. Um, and a lot of the sports themselves are very combative mm. it's full of contradictions
1: and the contradictions are very interesting Goodness, there's a slight gleam in your eye when you're talking about this, <laughs> well, do you wish you were doing the games right now? well it, it
2: wouldn't be bad to be doing the games um, this year because uh, Britain's in terrible financial trouble and uh, I noticed David Cameron said that the Olympics are going to bring 13 billion pounds to Britain and uh, which is a figure I think he might have made up. <laughs> Th- thirteen billion. Yeah, thirteen, not twelve billion, and not eleven.
1: <laughs> yeah, not fourteen because that's excessive. No, not fourteen. That'd be. Ridiculous to
0: say that. Taylor <laughs> <laughs> cameron has gone, what's a realistic prime number? <laughs> That's right. Do you, do you get that? What's I, a
2: prime I, number? And for God's sake, if any money comes into the country at all, don't give it to British Bank.
1: I don't know how you, how you wrote the games originally, but uh, do, you, do you get these little things going off when you hear this stuff and go, oh, that'd be good? Yeah,
2: you do. You think of a storyline or something. In the case of the games, we did what I think Dickens does. Um, Not that we're claiming any other similarity with Dickens, but he doesn't really write novels, he writes scenes. He sees some people, a person, a character, or he sees an event and he turns it into a scene and he doesn't worry about where the novel's going to finish. He's not dealing with the story arcs and other piffle that are spoken of by bureaucrats who are authorising money to be paid for creative enterprises they don't understand. Dickens doesn't start with a story arc, and neither should anybody. If they know the beginning of the story, that's what they should do. Or if they know the middle of the story, write the middle of the story. Fix the rest. You know, there will always be a way you can go, you know, there were these three Irishmen went into a bar. Get the bit you know. Anyway, this is what Dickens does a lot. And in the case of the games, Ross and I, Ross Stevenson, the brilliant man with whom I wrote it, we would often be amused by some aspect, potential or actual... Which we could sense was likely or was knowingly imminent, and we would then work out a scene, and so we'd go and write the scene and Really, the way the episodes work was, how do you get me something that can contain these scenes so and in the case of the games, we devised the format so that the so that the problem could walk in the door It's why there are so many television series I think that involve. Doctors, lawyers, hospitals. Because the door opens and the episode walks in. Mm-hmm. But you need the door. Yeah. The door's called the format. So um, in the case of the games, we were shamelessly did that. And the more um, distant we got from actual sport, the bigger the photographs of sport in the background. Or <laughs> <laughs> well, the more the monitor was on with people running. <laughs> <laughs> because it's not really about sport at all. It's about human folly, organisation, relationships and so on. The scenes were often driving, we'd have a good idea for a bit. And then um, well like for example we had a good idea for an apology given by John Howard um, who was an actor. And uh, as Gina pointed out to me in the program correctly no one outside Australia knows what the Prime Minister looks like so here's a apology by John Howard live from Sydney this will satisfy the world's requirements Um, so the rest of that episode plot-wise is designed to enable that scene he's the defending champion he's a woman let him compete in the women's event he's the
3: men's world champion he
2: was a woman when he won it
3: yes but that wasn't known at the time well somebody must have known nobody knew did Carlos have any kind of inkling well no one else knew But
2: all the other competitors were men, were they? Of course they were. Although, of course, you couldn't possibly have known that at the time. No, we
3: knew that the rest of them were men at the time.
2: At the time, David, you must have thought they
3: were all men. How the hell could we have known who was a woman and who was a man? My point is, how the hell can you know that about anybody? don't be bloody stupid, you can tell. David, if you could tell a man from a woman, how did a woman win the Men's World championship?
1: Can I ask that just while we're on, on nations as well? So this is this is skipping yes. slightly sideways, but we were talking about the UN before, because mm. this is the second project you've done with Princess. Mm. And in the story of Oz, which is this great doco about the Australian accent, mm. you're kind of placed there as a presenter, as a New Zealander. Like I think in a way you're there as an outsider to comment on Australia. In yes, Sporting well, Nation, you're, you're definitely there as Australian.
2: Well, I'm sort of there as. Both. I, my own attitude to that question is that I don't see much difference and I never have. My answer to that is that I've always seen myself as from here, from An- Australasia. From, Antipodean. Yeah, from Antipodes. And, um, and I've never, in the case of the, the accent program, there was a certain sense of my being. An outsider. It's also part, It's also true to say that I got to that project rather later. The program was essentially made by Laurie Zion and a couple of other people, and they they then were looking for somebody to present it. In this case, um, I'm saying at the very beginning of episode one that I'm from New Zealand, so that the question of my Australianness, which is either total or nil. And depending on your view, and I couldn't get less, yeah. um, uh, is either obviated or made a bit ridiculous. This, this is it, a country made up of migrants.
1: Oh, I just always thought though, yeah, because you're outsider to a degree, I think is one of your real strengths. I always got the feeling that you have a slight in, in a lot of your projects. But I was an
2: outsider in New Zealand. Oh, okay, so that's what I like, mean, the outsider perspective is a kind of. It's more of a creative thing than it is a flag-waving thing. I mean, I always felt that... that, um, I don't mean alienated or in any tragic way. I just mean uh, the kid who sees that the emperor has no clothes is in the same postcode as the emperor. But he's not... He's just too stupid to realise the luxurious garments of the emperor.
0: Growing up here you have always been a part of entertainment as as far as as far as i might My... Well, might I'm very old, you see. This well, is, yeah, that's this is a nice way of telling me. <laughs> <That's>... so. Be... <laughs> yeah, when you switched on television
1: in '56, just before the Olympics. If you could just say, "This
0: is <laughs> television." television.
1: <Yeah>. Uh,
2: <laughs> the... <laughs> <Welcome> to television.
3: <laughs> the victorious Australian fun team returned home in triumph last night with the Orb safe in their keeping until the challenge round begins again in late July Australian time. <laughs> team members were fulsome in their praise of the running of the championships and are approaching the government to get an Arkling grommet of international standard built in Canberra, so overseas teams can provide much needed competition here during the northern summer. The heavily bandaged Dave Sorensen, who aggravated a thigh injury with a heavy fall from the aircraft while deplaning before the ramp was in position, reacted strongly to suggestions that corporate sponsorship is poised to take Farnarkling into a commercial television. Proposals are already with the governing body to introduce a solid program of one-day Farnarkling fixtures, <laughs> underlights with edited highlights between the warbles and a viewer competition tentatively called classic Arkles.
2: <laughs>
3: Major manufacturers have already come up with what they claim is the definitive Farnarkling shoe and t-shirts and initiatives in fast food are apparently already in the pipeline. <laughs> well, Sorensen said he would have nothing whatever to do with what he described as a ridiculous Farnarkling circus. <laughs>
0: Uh, he claimed would turn the game into some kind of joke. On the Gillies report, you you invented a sport that mm. that then needed to be invented. There was a yes. there was a competition to for someone to come up with the rules for far but you came up with the commentary for far Yeah, for far-narkling. well, the,
2: that's a born of necessity. In the first series of Gillies, I did a sort of sports report. I was doing the news, um, and the reason we had a news bulletin is partly that it's quite a good form. Uh, It's easy to write to, um, and people recognise it immediately. The shorthand works. And you can write it very late. That was a program that went out a couple of days after it was made, and the big production numbers in that program would have been made several days before it went out. But at the last minute, you could do the news. So anything that needed to be updated or was a very live issue that day could be done at, you know five o'clock in the afternoon and be on television a couple of hours later. So um, so I was doing that and in the first series I did some sports reports and it was summer, so they could be about cricket, tennis and swimming. Mm-hmm. The second series was done in the winter and you've got a language difficulty from state to state in the winter codes. So I thought, well, I'll just, in order to sort of obviate the necessity to talk about rugby league and AFL and rugby union and anything else... I'd better invent a totally new sport. And as very often happens when necessity presses you to do something, it's a much better idea anyway. But the solution to the problem is better than what you would have done otherwise. So the new sport contained all of the sort of characteristics that I identify with sports reporting, um, micro-technology, tragic injuries and Australian victories when they had no right to win that fixture at all, they were done for all money. Um, and there's a hero called Dave Sorensen who exemplifies everything we stand for.
1: I, I'm quite shocked that it's that logical, that, that, that Farnackling came out of such a, a logical yeah. progression.
2: Well, the, the great skill in television is not getting things right um, <clears throat> conceptually or from the very beginning, because that's impossible. You can't preconceive totally successfully the whole thing what you do is you have an idea which will enable you to progress to the next idea and stuff and once you get into production and pre-production the great skill is not knowing exactly how to do everything perfectly it's fixing things quickly and that's one of the things I really like about television and one of the things is that if something goes wrong there'll be a plus in it somewhere And you need to find it. And in the case of Farnarkling, it was either that or don't do sports reports, which I didn't want to do. Um, I didn't want to concede anybody that right. Um, Or do each of the winter sports, each of which is rather boring. But combine them and you might have something interesting. Yeah, that's right. And it's language. The other thing is that the language is more powerful than the sport. And the other thing is that television very often, especially at that time, it's a bit less so now, but television at that time used to show people things that were trying to be a bit spectacular. There were a lot of tonight shows, there were a lot of super great acts and stuff, Uh, and it tried to sort of blast your imagination rather than stimulate your imagination. Radio stimulates your imagination more because you make the pictures yourself. Um, and what I wanted to do there was I thought, well, this gives me an opportunity to do something which people will create in their own heads. All I do is the words. There are no pictures, by definition. Wonderful.
0: How, how do you get a show up? Because the, the, the way you're describing television and the way television works seems to be counter to the way uh, my friends who have had tv shows get up have actually had their shows hmm. come about that they've uh uh they've had uh, great ideas and then uh 10 other people have tried to fix it uh without actually thinking about the the, the problem at hand and then something hmm. gets up that is that is subpar well
2: that's right there's a process by which television gets made these days and it prevents very often Prevents the genuinely creative people from running the show, mm. um, and um, and it you know it was very hard to get into television when I was in my twenties, and I don't think it's a hell of a lot easier now that I'm in my sixties. I don't think I don't have people knocking my door down saying, you know, what would you like to do on television? And it's certainly not easy. And how do you get things to happen on television is a question I don't know the answer to. But there's a system there at the moment where between the creative impulse and the audience is a huge series of program prevention officers. And somehow they need to be outflanked or something. But there's no compelling reason why there can't be a television station where people can put stuff on that they've made
1: is it really that because it's funny cause i would think if john clark rings up saying "Hey, i want to do a doco about sport i would just go get the big rubber stamp that i'm sure they Yeah, no, it's
2: not the way it works
1: is it so it is it is hard for you to get projects up now yeah are people
0: aware that you're john clark i could... <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah people i could tell think them that's the it's... problem I don't know
2: how. I don't honestly know how anything much gets made.
0: Because it's it's not often that we get to say this to, uh, let's like say this honestly to, to a guest. But you haven't made anything shit. Like n- well, I, I can't think of anything you have to that fix you've done. things quickly. Yeah. <laughs> Let me repeat. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, nothing so nothing do. I've seen that has gone to air has been shit. No. Well,
2: and the first episode of things is um, like when we were doing the games, for example. We, who were the writers and cast of that show, we talked about it while we were doing it because there's a lot of creative energy and a lot of gifted people in the room. So we encouraged a conversation to emerge about what it was we were embarked on because we knew what we were pretending we were embarked on. Uh, we knew how it was going to be presented to the public. These people are pretending to organise the you know. Um But you need to find the right tone or the house style or something or other and it takes a while to do that. It's a reason for doing lots of them. I mean, if we'd been doing... We were doing Sporting Nation and we were doing ten of them, um, you can learn more slowly than if you're doing three of them. But you need to learn very quickly about what you're doing. Mm. Um, And we talked a lot about the games and I think it was probably episode 4 or 5 or something before we had a sense that we sort of knew what we were about. For example if you say in the first episode would it be funny if I jumped out the window, everyone would have said give it a go. But in episode 6 if you'd said would it be funny if I jump out the window, somebody could not unreasonably have said no that wouldn't work in this program. Because by then we knew kind of what the program was. But your whole, every program is a kind of learning experience. And there is no, a lot of the process of getting a program on is a bit like the way the insurance industry works. It's not to do with making the program better. It's to do with laying off risk. Hmm. And that's mindless. That's not making any materially sensible effect on the program. That's just saying, well, if this goes wrong, you did say that you were going to write nine drafts. Well, a lot of the best stuff I've done is one draft. Very often your first draft idea has got the spark in it of why you want to do it. Hmm. It might not be the most brilliant version of it. You might need to set it more attractively on its pedestal, but there'll be something there, or you wouldn't have had the idea. So to throw it away and go, um, I like this cabbage, but wouldn't it be better if it were a, a buffalo? The answer to that is no by and large. That's a completely different idea. I'm happy to talk to you about that, but it's another project, and you'd need to buy my time to discuss that.
0: But you can't make sauerkraut out of a buffalo. Yeah,
2: you can't. So, it's hard, and the other thing is there's not a way of doing it. Various different people operate in various different ways. I've been lucky enough to collaborate with a lot of people, for example, and they've been very different, and me, in those collaborations, is a different me. So the nature of the project as it defines itself has been sometimes very different my role in those things has been different that's invigorating actually but you can't predict too much of that it's like a relationship you need to give it a whirl
0: see how it works so we have this thing in australia of approved content yeah approved content providers yeah, yeah. which i think is that one of the reasons that we thought that well, you'd just be able to call up and say, "I want to do a show about blah blah blah," because mm-hmm. you're an approved content provider. But
1: even that. I mean, John Clark wants to do a doco about sport. Mm. Strikes me as being, you know, like like why wouldn't you immediately greenlight like that? So, I mean, what was the steps to get that?
2: Well, after the language program, um, Laurel Waters from Princess and Yael and I got together and thought, well, that had been an interesting experience and it had worked well for an audience, so. So we should perhaps talk about doing something else and I thought, well, this is the opportunity to do a documentary about the power and meaning of sport in a culture where it's the principal narrative um, in certain ways. So we went and spoke to um, the ABC um, and there are other funding bodies involved in that project as well and we got it to happen. Um, And there were no huge difficulties with any of that. But but the way that the funding operates, there are quite a few, by the time you put it together, there are quite a few parts of the pie chart who need to tick everything off. And you need to liaise with quite a lot of people. And um, I prefer to liaise with the audience.
0: Do you think the reliance on the reliance on funding bodies is, is a problem with Australian production
2: can be it depends a bit on how that's managed from the point of view of the funding bodies if they get um it's hard to pick winners i think if i were in their job i would have the difficulty they've got if that's if they think they're picking winners whatever that means it will be quite a hard job i mean i get sent scripts by people very often and i read them and i couldn't tell you which ones are going to work and so on you'd need to talk to people and and um, get a sense of how they would do it and get a sense of how an audience would appreciate it and get a sense of what else that audience is being given at the same time so that they're not all given uh, the same sort of... For example, the ABCs, if you switch the ABC on at the moment, there's almost nothing on it but sports documentaries Mm. because the Olympics is coming up and they've obviously decided, brilliant decision um to commission about a thousand sports documentaries in the lead up to the Olympics. Um, was... so you so so the so context is going to do damage to some of those.
0: Mm.
2: It's not gonna help. You could argue either way, but I personally think it's it, it's they run the risk of overkill and confusion. But but um the answer to your question is a an important one and I don't know quite what it is because I think if we were in their position we would find it very difficult to work out which projects are going to work and I think we'd either need to be a bit, have a knowledge of what the creative process is and be able to say well we'll let those people go and we'd better have a word with those people Um because what they've got at the moment is a lot of people who very often have never done any of the jobs involved in making a television programme who are deciding about how not only what to make, but how it should be made.
1: There doesn't an obsession to with ratings, I feel, with the ABC, more than I remember them Huge being obsession. obsessed with in mm. the past.
2: Well, yes, and there's a problem with that, because it seems to me that, given that we live in an era where the market is supposed to be the preeminent factor in our thinking about getting up in the morning and stuff. Um, the market in commercial television in Australia is the domestic advertising market. They make shows which are designed to rate highly so they can charge more for the advertising space on their programming. The ABC, and, and SBS is now a commercial carrying entity by and large, and the ABC which could make another decision, it could decide to um, to behave in a different way and set a different agenda, doesn't. And so all of the industry is operating within a bullshit science designed to commodify... Um, time on television in terms of the domestic advertising market. Now, the actual market for television is the world, as we know it, Mm -hmm. principally the English-speaking world. And it's not surprising that Australia doesn't make a lot of television that sells internationally because it's aiming it at the domestic advertising market, which for the ABC is a philosophical failure. That's not its job. And it's not going to very easily succeed because if it does look like succeeding, the commercial channels will either snooker it or buy the key element out of it. And I think that's a sort of... It's a modelling failure in thinking as well as in behaving.
0: And that happened to you when uh, ACA wanted uh, yeah. Clark and Dor. That's right.
2: Well, um, they didn't really. They wanted... ACA wanted a, me to do a monologue And I'd done enough monologues in my life at this stage and I wanted to do this new idea, so Mm -hmm. I counter-proposed that to them. And um, to their enduring credit, they not only said, oh, yeah, that sounds like an interesting idea because it's actually quite a hard idea to describe. Mm -hmm. Imagine trying to get funding for an interview where you're pretending to be the person you're manifestly not pretending to be. It's a weird idea, and it's only little. So not only to their credit did they say yes, but Yana Vent, who was the host of the show, liked the idea, and she made a rule, which was of the utmost importance in making it work, and the rule was, don't ever show me what those two guys have done before I see it live on air. So when, she pl- when it was played live on air, you got her genuine reaction, and when she was amused, the audience knew... It was legitimate to be amused. And so she sort of helped immeasurably with making an audience, a big, big audience, millions of people, understand that idea and allow themselves to get it. Thanks for your time tonight. It's very good to be with you. My pleasure. Good evening. I understand you're an economist. I am an economist, yes, indeed. Right. Do you understand the euro? No, I'm an economist. No, you want religious questions, Brian. You've got to go and get somebody appropriately qualified. I'm an economist. Can you, can you explain to us then the Greek economy? Oh, look, Brian, you know, better value elsewhere, I think. I mean, I wouldn't... Be better value elsewhere? What do you mean? No, I wouldn't touch it with a pole, Brian. Don't put your money in there. No,
3: no, no, I don't want to invest in it. I'm just oh. asking you to describe Oh, you're seeking it. information yeah, about information the nature of it. Oh, yeah. I see. Because there's a great amount of nervousness, isn't there, Oh, there about certainly the Greek, is, Brian, Greek and economy. they have,
2: let's face it, very serious structural problems with the Greek economy. They're broke. They would be if things improved out of sight, Brian. I think the problem's actually worse than that at the moment.
0: What are the differences between doing that same segment on... Channel 9 and doing it on the ABC? Well,
2: there are no essential differences, I don't think. The idea is now slightly different because it looks, sounds and smells like the same idea, but it's developed all sorts of different possibilities. Um, and it, I suppose, is slightly more customised to an ABC audience now. And bear in mind that at the time we were doing it on a current affair, they did actually have the Prime Minister on a current affair and it was a big program to get on. It wasn't the program that it now is. Um, uh, which is a bit more magazine-y. It was a genuinely current affairs program that went out every night and had a huge audience. And and prime ministers and ministers would try to get on it. Um, So it was perhaps a bit more like 7.30 now is, rather than what it is now. And then the ABC's one of its concerns is that it has an ageing audience. Um... And you should be so lucky, you know. What's the problem? I don't see a problem there. Um, and over time, the pattern is that a lot of people start off watching play school, and then they get to about 12, and then they go out of the ABC's audience until they're 41, and then they come back. Well, the ABC thinks it's a failure that they're not there for those other years. Well, they'll never get them. They're not there. Yep. Yeah. They're not potentially there. They're not going to be there. And there's no use trying to skew, as they say, their audience younger. What they should be doing is providing, or in my view, is providing satisfactory programming for the audience they have got, which is a wonderful audience, um, and, um, and um, realising that the world is their oyster if they... I mean, there's never been a better time to be the ABC... Commercial television's in serious trouble, in all sorts of ways.
0: It's one of the things that SBS kind of lucked onto uh, with having South Park to show. Oh! Suddenly, suddenly there, there was a whole it new is, demographic that came yeah. to came to SBS, and now they get to do Which things they didn't like Danger much Five.
2: To they just put something on. I didn't tell anybody.
0: No, no. We, I found it by accident, right. and uh, yeah, really, like just lucky. Yeah.
2: Very fortunate. Channel ten did it with The Simpsons. Mm. Well you can you can luck those things, but and you need to you know retrospectively realise how brilliant you were to do it.
1: I, I feel that's what the ABC had with spicks and specs too, to agree, degree. This whole Wednesday night mm. programming was really I think just there was a fluke that there was a show that the whole country loved. Yeah. And you're not gonna be able to replace that easily. Which I think they kinda no. felt that they could.
2: No. Well, Specs and Specs is also a good example of a television show which has a form which you're told and you can see. This is a quiz program that lasts half an hour and it concerns music. There are two teams and a host. But some of the episodes work because somebody was brilliantly funny in them. Nothing to do with the music, nothing to do with the quiz. Some of them work well because you had somebody famous on who was a genius musician who did genius things. Nothing to do with... You know, so the model... Can contain any number of possibilities for why
1: half an hour of entertainment might work. I wanted to ask about formats and, and, and international you know, waters. Can we ask about 2012? Yeah, yeah. What, what happened? I mean, because to me, it's clearly a rip-off of the game. Yes,
2: clearly. Um, well, what happened was that uh, Ross and I had been approached by various, from a few countries, and Britain was one of them, <clears throat> about the possibility of doing a co-production for the London Olympics, which would enable us to have some other elements in the writing and performance um, and would enable them to have somebody working on it who'd done it before and theoretically knew how to do it. Um, So um, Rick McKenna, who uh, was producing Kath and Kim and had done a whole lot of international co-production arrangements and so on and knows about all this, he went and spoke to the BBC who were very interested and provided them with the scripts and DVDs and things and the next thing we knew was that the head of BBC, to whom he'd spoken, left the BBC, formed an outside production company and sold back to the BBC a thing which may or may not have been loosely based on what he'd seen. So, So, and the law in America contains the concept, as I understand it, contains the concept of format rights Mm -hmm. which means that you can't do that without going to jail Um, but the law in both Britain and Australia is slightly more murky there isn't that concept you need to establish various other things including characters use of actual lines a bit more forensic and of course the BBC are excellent at not being sued under that law So that's not quite what they'd done.
1: And so did anything happen? I mean, legally, that's kind of where it ended.
2: Yeah, well, it costs a fortune to take legal action, especially in London. Um, And we had a lot of lawyers here who were very interested in helping us. But the question is where, what jurisdiction would would pertain um, and how long it would take and what it would cost. And...
0: And, kind of, and, you, and, and mind
2: you, you get ripped off all the time. Mm. This is not the first time. Is, if you do something that works, it'll be
1: copied. Actually, we were mentioning just before. I was a huge fan of uh, the Fast oh, well, yes, well, like Lane. Oh And I do seem to remember then Channel Seven or someone having a remarkably yeah. similar show. Yeah,
2: but if you do stuff that works, people will copy it. I mean, I when I was young, I used to copy Peter Cook and Spike Milligan. Eventually, you take the training wheels away and ride your own bike. But you do need to... Models are very useful, and, and people shouldn't be discouraged from, from using someone else's model to learn. What we would object to in this case is that these are very experienced people being paid millions of pounds.
0: To, to do something that is so similar an idea. Yes. Yes. Uh, as to be an an amazing coincidence, amazing
2: I, coincidence. But you I, can't argue that this is helping young people to learn. And you look the other way. And good luck to them.
0: I've I, I've often thought about well, what would be? Sometimes I think about the best worst case or the the worst best case. Mm. You you fight this lawsuit, you win, and then your name is associated as having created a show that in the end wasn't very good.
2: That's right. That's that's.
0: Uh, so, so you're winning at what cost?
2: Yeah. Well, the other thing is that you have to work out what matters to you mm. in life, um, and there are things that matter to Ross and me much more than that.
1: You just seem quite calm about it. Obviously, I thought you might be yeah. more. You know, un- I'm no, it's, it's
2: irritating, but it's a constant feature. Um, and it you've got to be careful that you don't get eaten up by the things that go wrong our job in life is to find the pluses in the position we're in and if people are stealing your stuff the other thing is that what people often do when they steal your stuff is that they do that thing that is represented in cartoon form by the following series of images a man comes up to the window of a jeweller's shop checks that nobody is looking pulls a balaclava down over his face checks again that nobody's looking throws a brick through the front window of the jewelry shop reaches in picks up the brick and sprints off down the street you've got to know which bit is
0: the jewel i I, I have two two questions to to end on how much how much work goes into creating a Clark and door Mm. uh, segment for each week and then what's the next great thing that you're working on
2: well, Clark and Door is a sort of a day's job for me. Um, each week um, you might have a few thoughts in your head prior to this day as you see events rolling by or personalities appearing or something, but each week there's a day where I sit down and I write in... I read and then write in the morning maybe, up until about 2 o'clock, and I conventionally write two or three Clarkendor and Door scripts, and then I go in there and we... Um, rehearse while we're getting dressed basically and made up and if one of them isn't terribly good it gets dropped but if they're all still okay we'll go and record three because we don't quite know A which is going to be more amusing or B which is going to be more apposite by 8 o'clock. So we need to be useful to the program and that's the best way we can do that. So it's basically a day's job and it's usually pretty good fun. There are Weeks where I think I'm rolling my arm over from the southern end for Yorkshire, um, but but really it is pretty engaging because it's it's not too arduous and it can work in any number of various ways, hundreds of ways, um, and very often it's the rhythm of the talk that amuses us. We can often record the same thing twice, and one of them's obviously funnier than the funny the other. The words are the same; it's the rhythm or something. So it's a lovely exercise in all of that, but it's basically a day. Um, And in other projects, um, I've always got a few projects in the computer. I've got a couple of film projects and another television project in there at the moment. But you never know what's going to be made. We're dealing with a vast bureaucracy. And to go back to something you said earlier, I think when I was first trying to get into television, I was in my young 20s, and I thought it was impossible because... There weren't any people in their young 20s on television and nobody had done on New Zealand television at the time what I was trying to do. And I don't think it's a hell of a lot easier now for people who are in their young 20s. And in your young 20s, you're very creative, very adventurous. You'll do anything. It's a wonderful, carefree period in your life in all sorts of ways. And you've got to squander part of it and take these colossal risks and for those people not to really be encouraged to be in television as if the industry is the poorer for it and in Australia that doesn't much show because it's a cartel and there's nothing much competing with it except now for social media and the media don't know how to deal with social media because they've completely owned the field. They used to have a fence up around it and there's no fence anymore so they don't know what to do and it's quite interesting. I wondered uh, we, our sporting show is on iView at the moment, and I've been trying to find out how many people go to iView, and um, and a lot to do is the answer, and so many do that I wonder why they're not commissioning product
0: for iView. They're not just worrying about it. Pardon? They've just started. Have they? They've just done their first commission for iView.
2: Is it is it half hour or an hour or something? Or uh, I believe. Is it what they call interstitial? Uh, which means short and we don't quite know.
0: I, I believe I glanced at the media release and had more important things to do with my time.
2: Yeah, Okay. Well, I think there should be ways found to get young people who are creative into television and into radio, and there aren't, and therefore the system's fucked. If you can't get the smartest young people in the country, the most creative young people, it's all very well to do a degree in media studies or to study it you have to do it there's only one way to learn how to do this really and that is to do it and if you're not given an opportunity to do it because you've got a top heavy bureaucracy involving nine million people who've never done it and never could then the outlook's not all that
0: rosy. John Clark I think we could talk to you uh, basically, until you got so sick of us that you poured petrol on us and set us on fire. Well, no, and that's it's not nice. far away. No, <laughs> it's very nice to talk to you. And, uh, I, I, I wish you well.
2: I do hope that the. Uh, I do get a bit frustrated by television, so I'm sorry if I was a bit uncharitable, but I think uh, it's potentially it's... such a brilliant industry. It's the set in every home, and it's not really used
0: wisely or well. Oh, thank you so much. Oh, no,
1: <laughs>
0: oh. The mem- oh the memory. <laughs> oh remember when he was wearing the funny glasses oh, and, the, I know. and the wig and, takes oh. me back
1: to last week. Yeah.
0: Yeah. F- remember how Huxterberg is closed on a Monday? <laughs> uh so thank, thank you very much to, to John Clark. Thank you very much for uh John Richards for organizing that that interview. That was that was superb. And after hearing
2: that, I'm more and more convinced Vince, that he could be one of my favorite ever humans
1: yeah. 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 yeah 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 so if I wanted to purchase Sporting nation on DVD Josh
0: Cannell well, you want to buy it? You could buy it from the ABC shop on the 2nd of August. Or you could pre-order it now uh, or buy it on, on the 2nd of August uh, from the ABC shop for $29.99. Or you can wait until the 16th of August and buy it for $29 from JB Hi-Fi. Isn't that right, Brett? That's uh, right about right, yeah. yeah. Hey, and if, that... and if I wanted to
1: you know, be an asshole and, and push Glenn and, and Brett out of their own show and just see you and me doing stuff again,
0: where would I go? Oh, you would totally, totally go to, to Acme on August 30th. Where you can watch us talk about TV that has gone wrong uh, or mad or crazy or whatever it is that you want to call it. Off the rails. Off the rails. Oh, TV off the rails. We'll be talking about TV shows that just just went
1: wrong and had to either try and fix themselves and did or didn't, and there'll be clips and Super Train. Yeah. That's or. Really, or I've, I've got two people I did to say Super Train to, and I know they'll be there. Su- super Train or The Newsroom.
0: Uh, <laughs> sorry, that's shows, that's TV shows that started crazy.
1: Oh, And also, Josh, if you wanted to go and see me talk about Outland at the Northcote
0: Library. Oh, I would go to the Northcote Library this Thursday evening. Thursday the 9th of August. Oh, not, not this Thursday. Oh, this yeah. Thursday, no, thir- so, I'm going to be so lonely at the library this would Thursday. Be. No, that's okay. I'm reading to children that night so it's oh, okay. No, there yes. you go.
1: Thursday 9th of August I will be at Northcote Library giving a talk about Outland and I'm going to throw it in here too because it'll be weeks before but um, we found out today that Christine Arnu is up for a deadly award for her oh. role in Outland so we're very excited.
0: Fan- fantastic.
1: Um, she's up against Deborah Mailman from Marbo, so fight, fight,
0: fight! Are, are the ABC flying you their business class?
1: I, I don't even know where it's happening. But why not? Oh, no, no, sorry, not
0: I meant the Northgate Library. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Northgate Library. I fly to. Yeah. I only take yeah. helicopters to Northgate <laughs> Library. Uh, you're not allowed to go to the Deadlies. It's all se- it's all done in secret. Um,
1: everyone can oh, vote. Oh, that's so racist. No, 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 but I was like, everyone can vote for the Deadly, so please please do. Feel free. But when you go to also the, the Oh, popularity contest. It's a popularity yeah. contest. Uh, down the very bottom, you fill in your thing and it says basically, are you Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander? And there's a yes, no pull-down menu. And I spent ages going, should I say yes? Does my vote <laughs> count for more? Because <laughs> I think it should. I think it'd be hilarious if the Deadlies actually worked on the idea that white people get half the vote <laughs> of the people. I so would do that if I was Where, wearing the deadlies. I've
0: watched almost all of the Straits and... And some of my favourite fast forward sketches were any dingo ones. <laughs> Where does that put me? Well,
1: look, everyone's allowed to vote. Just just go to the deadlies and and follow the rules and read about the awards. And she's also up for two other awards as well. She's up for best album and, and best musical artist. Triple threat. Triple threat. Oh. I hope she doesn't split the vote.
0: <laughs> the, the, the different categories. Hope she doesn't split the vote. <laughs> That brings us to the end of BoxCutters episode 312. I want to say thanks very much to John Clark, to John Richards, to everybody who uh, has supported us throughout... Our time doing this show. It's going to be sad to say goodbye. To Brett and Glenn, who came all so, the way in
1: tonight just to do this just you to, know, just to do top this. and tail.
0: <laughs> that brings us to the end of Fox Cutters, episode 312. Until next week, my name is Josh Canal.
1: I'm Glenn Richard Peters. I'm John Michael Richards. <laughs> I continue to be Brett Richard Crupley. Thanks <laughs> for listening to Box
0: Cutters. <laughs> Catch us again next week, same bad time, same bad channel. And hey, let's be careful out there. Box is produced by Josh Canal with Brett Crockley and John Richards and help from Courtney Hocking and Dave Lawson. John Richards edited this episode. Peter Wilson from Soup Giant is the man behind making sure you can actually download stuff. He's good that way. We'd like to thank 3RRR, the greatest radio station in the world, for letting us use their studios to record this podcast. Find them on the web at R org.au or 102.7 FM if you listen to radio the old-fashioned way if you enjoyed this podcast you can show your appreciation by leaving a positive review on iTunes or maybe just telling some friends what they're missing out on. You can also donate actual cash money to us by using the donate button at the top of our website. donating helps keep the show alive and makes us smile. Our website is boxcutters.net and you can find all sorts of ways to contact us there. Just just that we could rub in their faces how they didn't get to meet John Clark. Mm. I've met him several times in my mind. (laughs) He's exactly the same. He's probably a little bit more demure. I saw him at the football once and he had an excellent um, scarf on. He was wearing that scarf. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, this is Pete Smith.
2: You've been listening to or have just missed Box Gutters.